Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm a nuisance pound and a plan trying to be Bruce Wayne I ain't slowed down since about last May Cause this grind don't sleep and I dream all day And, and I'm far from sane Curse if it gets my only saving grace First moon sun and they think I'm crazy Till the sky falls and they see my rain First thing, they don't know about the vision No wonder why there's all eyes on me Came from a place where the grass ain't green So the blood, sweat and tears really stained my tea And, and I can't find sleep Always awake, guess it ain't that deep Everywhere I go, I'm just counting sheep So I gotta lead the way like little bold peep on the kid Certain man wanna lean on the kid Try and map up the plan, they can't see what it is And they try to take a mile from an inch With the game and my hand hit the free in a clinch Clutch, so it's either bust or go bust Try skip my turn till I double down Dutch If the scoops don't land, then someone best up Black mask, I'm a nuisance, pound and a plan Trying to be Bruce Wayne I ain't slowed down since about last May Cause this grind don't sleep and I dream all day And... And I'm far from sane Curse with a gift, my only saving grace First moon sun and they think I'm crazy Till the sky falls and they see my rain Wait, wait All these paths and they led to pain Straight, straight My name's Stuart, I'm the founder of Since71 And I'm pleased to be back recording after a short break Today I'm joined by Ajani from Freelance Media Ajani has recently produced a five episode series Titled Throw in the Kitchen Sink Which is available to stream now over on YouTube each episode focuses on important issues affecting the women's game, including sexism and sexuality, broadcasting issues, black representation, agency and professionalism, and equal pay. If you've not watched them yet, then I fully encourage you to do so, although you don't need to have seen the series to enjoy this episode. It works well as an intro or uh, Attenborough-style making-of to complement it. But before I jump into my conversation with Johnny, I just want to play you a short clip from episode one, featuring Coach Ali, as found on Twitter. Um, she talks about sexism in women's football and uh, how it affected her at a young age. I mean, I guess my very first experience was when I was about um, nine or ten years old at primary school. So I used to play like in the playground at lunchtimes with the boys. We used to play football every playtime. And um, they went and asked the, the school teacher, like the, I think he was the deputy head, but he was the head of the football's boy, like boys football team. Could I play in the school matches? And, um, and he was just like, no. And they were like, but sir, she's good. Like, why can't she play? And he was like, she's a girl. But that was, and at that time, so that was like, I started secondary school in 94. So this would have been around 92, 93. It wasn't even a conversation. Like my little 10 year old self didn't have the confidence to be like, hang on a minute, like that's sexist. I was just, that was just accepted as the answer was no, she can't play because she's a girl. So that would have been like my very first experience really of sexism in football. 
thank you for taking the time to sit down and talk to me. And apologies, we've had to uh, postpone a couple of times. Um, that's the life of, uh, be- of being a parent of uh, a 15-month-old um, in the midst of COVID while uh, also trying to, to maintain the, a day job and uh, also coach a youth football team. So uh, I'm spinning a lot of plates, but um, I'm really glad to actually have a chance to sit down and talk to you and, and find out more about a series that I thought was, uh, was brilliant. Um, to, to be to be blunt thank you thank you for having me um like as soon as you contacted me about doing this it's something i wanted to be a part of straight away and um no don't worry about postponing anything that's fine like life gets in the way sometimes um as we start talking about the documentary we'll get into how much life got in the way of interviews and whatnot anyway so it's absolutely fine yeah, this this sort of these sort of projects do do come with their challenges. But but how are you keeping? Have you been keeping enduring COVID and uh, balancing uh, day work in the day job and uh, producing content? Um, it's been all right. I'm back in Birmingham now. Um, I was in London for about, around five years or so, um, but due to COVID and circumstances around that, I've had to move back to Birmingham. But um, I'm okay. I can't complain. Um, still producing content here and there. Um, still working within the space of football and women's football and all that good stuff. So I'm not too bad. So if we'd start talking about football before we go into uh, into your series, what were your sort of first experiences of football? Were you are you, are you someone that used to play? Um, I've coached for 20 years. And I only played for a, a small amount of time for uh, organised teams. Most of my time was kicking a ball around the park because I wasn't particularly good. Um, hence why it's the old uh, expression, those who can teach, but those who can do. Hence why I've been coaching for 20 years. But um, I managed to get a few trophies and learn a few things on the way. So I feel like I'm... Uh, I'm giving something, uh, even if it wasn't that, that from a playing perspective. But um, what, what about yourself? Yeah, um, so I am an avid football fan. Um, used to play a lot, a lot more than I do now when I was younger. Um, I still do play here and there. Um, but yeah, big Arsenal fan. Um, um, I've, I do follow um, Leicester women, especially this year. Um, I do have a strong affinity towards them as well as Lewis Football Club. Um so, yeah, I've um, always been interested in football, always knew in some capacity I wanted to work within football. Um, but when I was younger, I never wanted to be a player. Um, a lot of the kids in my year growing up always wanted to be players. Um, but that, I knew that was something I didn't want for myself. Um, so I, I was always able to enjoy football um, in any capacity. But, yeah, I was always, I've always had a strong affection towards football. Did you have a favoured position? Um, favoured position, centre mid, um, and then I'd probably say centre back. But I always, I'm always rolled between centre back and right back um, in my playing days. I didn't get too much time at centre mid. I, I guess I wasn't good enough for that position. <laughs> hey, too much pressure there. You, you're probably uh, you're probably better off from that one. Um, you touched on something that I found, I. I, I find quite interesting and I don't know if you have a similar experience but in the men's game I'm a, a Man United fan for my sins um, but in the women's game I I kind of I have a soft spot for Portsmouth being my local team I have a little bit of a soft spot for uh, Manchester United because of the transition from men's to women's game but my experience in women's football had already started before Man United women's team had launched Um and the more I work with different clubs, the more I hold different clubs um, to quite high affection. Um, 
did you find through making the the series that you spoke to so many people that you think, well, actually, I kind of I support all of these clubs. Um, on Sunday afternoon, I'm, I'm kind of I'm turning the notifications on for all of them individually, all of their teams. You kind of you, you buy into the women's game as a whole. Yeah, one hundred percent. My loyalty towards um, different players and different teams is stretched on a weekly basis, especially during recording, um, because obviously we spoke to. Uh, Amber Stubbs, for example, who was at uh, Crystal Palace last year, and now she's just joined Watford. Spoke to Jay Pennock, who was at Sheffield. Spoke to Natasha Flint, who's at Leicester. Um, and then, obviously, we, we spent the day down at Lewis FC with Maggie Murphy and some of the players there as well. So um, each of these players and then the teams, there's always an affinity or an attachment towards these teams. So it's not even a situation of, I'll put one team over the other. I just want to see them all do well. I know at some stage in the season that's not possible for everyone to succeed because they have to do play. They have to play each other at some point. But um, yeah, my it's hard for me to say my heart's set on just one team in women's football. Um, whereas in men's, it's very hard for me to say I. I know the teams on the same level as Arsenal, for example. I uh, I have zero interest in watching any men's football match other than Man United games. Um, but from a women's perspective, I'll watch any game. So you've obviously uh, been an Arsenal men's fan for uh, for many years, but what was it that brought you into the women's side of the game? Um, I think, if I'm being totally honest, it was just a lack of understanding uh, of women's football on a, as a whole. Um, when I was younger, the only time I was exposed to women's football was the Women's FA Cup. And that usually used to have uh, Arsenal women and whoever had reached the final that year against them. Uh, so that was the only women's football I was really exposed to. Um, so from that perspective, I thought I would love to know more about it. Uh, documentaries has always been something I've been interested in. And I was like, uh, women's football documentaries. Well, originally, Throwing the Kitchen Sink was supposed to cover a lot more than just football. Um, but as I was networking and talking to different people, I seemed to be drawn towards women's football the most. Um, obviously, women's football is a lot more po- is a lot popular in more recent times than it has been for a long time. So um, I did just naturally go towards that avenue um, of women's sport. But um, yeah, it was pretty much just a lack of uh, knowledge in terms of players, for example, um, who's the best team, stuff like that. Obviously, I did hear about Chelsea women, Man City women, Arsenal women, but beyond that, what kind of stories do you get from the players that are there? Um, What kind of rivalries have they got going on? Um, And uh, to refer to a point you mentioned earlier, Man United didn't have a women's team up until a few years ago. so I wanted to know a bit more about that. And those are the kind of stories that I wanted to investigate. So I thought this is something, if it interests me, there must be more people like me who are interested and want to know why um, or what stories are within women's football. So that's how it started, essentially. It sounds awesome. I know in episode one, you speak to Drew from uh, How Football Hub, who um, I think is, is a fantastic guy and someone that I'm really pleased to call friend and when they launched her football hub they had a very similar um goal as to ourselves at since 71 and that is just to share the stories of the the 
the people involved within. So that's the uh, the, the current and former players, um, the clubs, the fans, the the manage the managers and coaches, because there are so many stories there, and they're getting almost lost and neglected. And I figured that if I don't know who these people are, how can somebody else be expected to know who these people are? And where can I go to learn about these people? And there really was a massive gap in the market. It's getting better, um, a lot better. Um, the WSL gets fantastic coverage nationally as well as the international football. However, there is still um, gaps within the championship coverage and, and further down. Um, the third tier of uh, women's football, the National League, is my is where my real love is. Um and that's one of the uh, the areas that I think really needs to kind of be highlighted and, and boosted over the coming years. And with the introduction of the uh, the National League board, I'm hopeful the hopeful that's something that we're uh, we're definitely going to see. But just before we go into talking about the the series, um, I understand that uh, like myself, you've got a, a day job that you have to use to sort of help supplement and and fund um, these sort of projects. Um, so. Could you tell me a little bit about how you have tend to manage your time and how you you choose uh, some of your sort of projects? Yeah, so um, at the moment I am working in a warehouse and my shifts are ten to seven, so ten in the afternoon until seven in the evening. Uh, and how I juggle that with um, the freelance stuff I do is, it's just essentially when I get home from work at seven, half seven, I move into the editing side of things. So um, I'm doing some work with the PGMOL, which is the Board of Referees for the FA. Um, they've recently started um, actively being on social media, on Twitter and Instagram. Um, and they've been having webinar sessions about with different people from different backgrounds, just talking about the diversity within refereeing, um, as well as the referees itself. Um, so I've been sorting out clips for them. I've also been helping out the Football Blacklist with some work as well. Um, cause they've been, they've been doing some great things, having hosting webinars as well. So, um, I've been helping out here and there. So it's just something I do in the evening. Um, when I get home from the day job and just work through the night and then I'm back at work the next day. So, um, it's not ideal in terms of having to have the day job, but as you will well know, it's just got to be done essentially. So the, the, the dream is to, to make it into a career in future. Yes, that's the so the, the the goal is to make it full time. Um, essentially, to have a team along with me because it's not just about myself. I love to have people involved and working with me. A team is always something I've aspired to have in my job, no matter what the job actually is. Um, I think that comes from my football days when I was younger, just being around the team and stuff. So, um, essentially, that's what we want to do full time. Um, I say we because I can't really mention freelance media without mentioning my friends James, who I met through uni, and together we've done a lot of um, the stuff that you see on freelance now. So, um, yeah. So what sort? So what sort? When you started uh, Three Lots Media, what were your early projects? Were they sort of uh, sort of social, political, um, or was it always a plan to move down into sort of documenting uh, sporting stories? So essentially, the birth of freelance media was between myself and six or seven other students that I went to uni with that met for uni in one way or another. And what we wanted to do was 
We wanted to provide opportunities for each other and anyone else who wanted to join um, to get into sports media. So some of them wanted to be journalists. Some of them wanted to work in sports uh, marketing. Um, some of them wanted to do um, podcasting, content creation kind of thing. So essentially we came together just to create opportunities in sports media to then, if you had an interview, for example, you can say, I've got this experience, but I also made it myself. So that's essentially where it started and it just progressed towards um, documentaries and stuff like that. Um, there was seven of us in the beginning, I believe, but obviously life gets in the way and people get jobs in different areas and stuff. So essentially it's just been me and James, well, um, two good friends of mine, Cheyenne and Pulo have helped out here and there when they can as well. So that's how freelance actually started. Yeah, it's awesome. And um, I guess without further ado, we should probably get on to the reason we're here. And that is the uh, the series uh, Throwing the Kitchen Sink. So let's uh, jump straight in by uh, playing a short clip. When in supermarkets, right, when they've got a new chocolate bar, for instance, to launch, what do they do? They put the chocolate bar right next to the till. You also, you're switching on the TV and that chocolate bar is being advertised. And then you go into the supermarket to do your weekly shopping. You think, I've seen that. I tell you what, I'll try that one. It's right by the till right there. And what I would say is, if we're using that analogy in women's football, I don't think that we're putting women's football next to the till. I think it's there, but I think people have got to go down the aisles and they've got to try and find it. And I would even say that as far as I'm praising the FA player, I actually think there's a lot of people out there that don't even know it exists. I think there was a big thing around it when it first launched. And now I think people who already like women's football, who already would walk down the aisle to go and get their favourite food, are the ones that are using it. And what we need to do is get it by the till. Lindsay's um, fantastic, isn't she? Um, I've been very fortunate to spend some time working with uh, the offside rule and um, the stuff that they do is absolutely fantastic. But um, could you tell me about the clip and how you managed to set up the uh, the interview with Kate and Lindsay? Yeah, so um, Lindsay, to share your point, is, a, is amazing, um, simply put. But um, I had initially contacted Lindsay, um, I think it was a year before I actually started filming for the documentary, regarding event an event I was putting together um, about working in sports media and the kind of stories that you have. Um, and I wanted her to be part of the panel I was organising. Um, she couldn't make it on the day that we had set. So we had said on LinkedIn where we was talking that at some point we will work together. Um, so then when I've had this idea, because um, I've already made the network with her, I asked her if she would want to be a part of it kind of stuff. So I told her the kind of reasoning behind throwing the kitchen sink and that sort of thing. And she was like, yeah, I'd love to be on board. And she um, was really helpful in terms of linking me with Kate as well. Um, and Hayley McQueen was also going to try and be in there as well. But as we keep saying, life get, got in the way. So it was just the two of them on the interview. But um, that's how they got involved. Um, they was really helping us with uh, giving us a push both on their own personal platforms, but also on the offside rule pod as well. Um, so, yeah, they've been nothing but great helping us out with what we needed to and pushing the documentary forward. And that clip in particular, I mean, the whole interview itself, there was loads of gems, but that clip in particular, um, yeah, that it's just a, a really powerful message that she said. And the analogy is great too. We did laugh at first because we wasn't sure where it was going to go. But once she had finished, the analogy made total sense. 
It's, per- it's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. But I, I realised that obviously we've just been chatting and I probably haven't really covered. There probably might be a few people still listening. So, so I've got all this, but what, what is throwing the kitchen sink? So I guess I put that question to yourself. Essentially, Throwing the Kitchen Sink is a five-part documentary series that looks at the stories of women's football. So by stories, I mean the good and the bad. So there's issues that we see within women's football and women's sport in general. And if you want to expand on that, how society views women as well. Um, so this uh, it highlights issues such as sexism, um, the equal pay debate, which can be um, expounded to wider society. Um, but yeah, it, it's an overview of the different issues, the different stories and the different perspectives of women and women in football. Um, so, yeah. So you've you've got sort of well over sort of like two to three hours worth of content there. Would was it always intended to be a series? Um, from early memory, yes. Um, I don't think I wanted to put it all in one documentary because I didn't want to feel like I had left something out or I had looked at one point more than the other. So by splitting it into its own um, episodes. It gave me a chance to say, I've given everything to this topic or episode or theme um, as much as the other ones. So um, I didn't want to leave anything short or leave anyone out kind of thing. So I tried my best to keep all the episodes that had uh, similar timing and everything. So I know that I've given everything to each theme. So was the final product um, a fair reflection of what you initially set out to achieve or did it change along the way? Um, as about, I would say about 90% only because it being in a pandemic and some of the people I was talking to, uh, there was no access to actually film them in person. So um, this is just me being nitpicky with myself. It was just more of the fact that some of the calls had to be on Zoom, um, which I wouldn't. I would have preferred it being otherwise, but you've just got to get on with it at some point. And no one's complained about it being on Zoom. Um, and the the quality and the information that I've got, it's still the same, whether it be on Zoom or whether it be in person. So I can't complain. I can't be too hard on myself in that regard. Oh, definitely. Well, you, get a, you get a really good balance. You, know, you start off... Um, and there's, there's 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 quite a few people that you do speak to in person, and I think there is a really nice little balance. And I don't I, be, I don't think people think twice if they see a, a Zoom interview now, or if they haven't got that kind of professional BBC level of audio. Um, I think people are, I hate the term new normal, but it almost is a bit of a new normal, which probably works well for myself because when we first launched the pod this podcast three years ago, um, it was all solely done in person. And we probably ended about eight episodes because of the the difficulties of um, getting together in in person with people. Um, So the fact that there's a real acceptance of the sort of Zoom, we use Squadcast, but the sort of similar sort of software to record, it's... um, It's been been a game changer. It's it's meant that the podcast has um, produced much more varied, diverse content. And it's not just me interviewing players from Southampton and Portsmouth because uh, where I'm from. Like this this probably wouldn't happen um, necessarily or it would have happened a lot further down the line and we'd have to try, maybe try and meet somewhere in the middle and put diaries together. So I think 
I, yeah, I, I certainly wouldn't nitpick yourself uh, if it if it if you're talking about using Zoom. Um, I don't think it detracts one little bit. And as I said at the, the top of the episode, I think what you produced is um, is fantastic. And I I certainly didn't notice the the, the transition between your in, your in person interviews through to the uh, the Zoom work. So uh, yeah, give yourself uh, some uh, some credit on that one. Um, so how did you start? making the series because what what comes first because as I said you were still relatively new to women's football so presumably you had to kind of think right I've got an idea of all of these topics who how who am I going to speak to did you um, how did you open doors to speak to particular people did one interview then open doors for others and um, further future introductions um so yeah um the power of twitter essentially is how I started um I follow a documenter called James Jones um, and I approached him about my idea and where to start and because uh, initially I was asking about if I wanted to get it on TV for example who do I pitch to or how how do I go about pitching it um, to TV companies so he gave me a lot of advice on how to write a pitch what it should include um, and then I did pitch it to a few TV companies not not to say oh, I want them to make it. I was always I always had the intention of making it, and they just show it on TV. Um, but I know some of them thought I was asking them to make it um, themselves. But yeah, that's how it started. So I just started with a, a pitch and a brief, and from then I started to think about who could be involved in what capacity. Um, and then, as you said, with the networking. I can't remember who the first person was I contacted. I did have a few in mind. So like you drew Diamond from her, fo- her football f- hub, for example. Sorry, I can't get my words out there. Because um, <laughs> Drew is a really good friend of mine as well. So I contacted him and through him and others like him, they said, oh, you should talk to this person who referred me to another person. And I don't think we had an interview where they didn't suggest someone else. So I think we interviewed around 35 to maybe 40 people in total. And each one of those people said, oh, you should have, do you know this person? You should talk to this person. So if we had done that, there would have been hundreds of people for us to talk to. So once the ball started rolling, it didn't start. That's the power of the women's game. Um, That network is fantastic. And it's Drew um, who could be credited with that, bringing my attention to the project because he was an advocate of the, the project even before you were probably anywhere near completion. Um, he was talking about it, sharing it and um, like those guys have done an amazing job and with the, the, the amount of followers that they've now gained um, through their hard work and working with yourselves and the networks, it's, it's just amazing. It's just so nice, but we could talk about the, um, the how amazing the women's football network is for for hours. And um, I want to focus on you and um, this this really great series that you produced. Um, so that's how you obviously started with regards to speaking to people. But I, I refer to you as a as a as a media producer and a content creator mainly because you do everything pretty much, but you do it with the assistance of other people. So. How did you go about recruiting people um, to for all the jobs and roles required? So um, pretty much everything you've seen done, apart from like the advertising side of things, has been produced by four or five people. So um, there's myself 
And then there is my cousin Tamara, who was a great help with um, recording. And then, as I mentioned before, there's James, Pulo and Cheyenne. So between the five of us, the documentary has been produced between the five of us, essentially, um, without including the advertising, as I said before. And they're just, literally, they're just friends of mine. Um, I just said, I've got this project I'm trying to do. What do you think? Would you like to be a part of it? They said, yeah. Obviously, they added their ideas and stuff, and we just went from there. And it's really easy to create something like this when you're working with like-minded people. There was never any arguments about anything um, with between anyone. There might have been arguments with myself um, over different things like quality and stuff but essentially between the five of us we all just shared the vision of what we wanted to do and we just done everything we could to make it as best as we could um in terms of like equipment my uncle was a big help with that as well um because he did help help me out a lot if i needed certain things and um, because he's got a side project on the media side that he was uh starting so he was like anything that you need in terms of that um, I can try and help you the best I can. Excellent. But, so you were able to borrow a lot of that equipment. Um, yeah. So uh, some of the most of the equipment was my own, or it was paid for by myself. Um, but a few things here and there. So like some camera lenses that he had, he was able to give me. Um, I was actually using my sister's camera at the start because I didn't have my own. Um, so. I had her help as well. And then my uncle had a camera that he wasn't using. So I was able to use that. And then I got my own camera in the end. So it's just a lot of support from family and friends that's helped us do it because um, the documentary was funded by us. Well, by myself, like um, I remember me and James used to use our free vouchers for a studio, um, a podcast studio as a location to film for the um, documentary. Um, obviously not with it being a global pandemic and everything, being in someone's house is a bit of a touch and go situation. So we was using free uh, studio time to interview uh, players and people um, for the documentary. So it was a lot of push and pull with the logistics of things, but we managed to get there in the end and produce what we have today. So obviously you touched on the uh, the COVID pandemic. Um, how did that affect um, producing the, the series? Because uh, I'm aware that it all began well prior. Or, or tell you what, let's start them again. You've obviously touched on COVID and the pandemic, but from what I'm led to believe is that you actually started working on this way before COVID hit. So what sort of impact did COVID have on uh, producing the final product? So the initial idea probably started, so we went into lockdown in March. Um, the initial idea probably started around February time. Um, and then it was actually in the middle of the first lockdown in June or July when I was like, yeah, this is something I'm definitely going to do. Um, and we didn't complete filming until, when was it? February 2021, I think, in and around that kind of time frame. Ah, oh, right. So, okay, I was under the impression that a lot of the um, in-person stuff was filmed prior to the pandemic. So you, a lot of that was actually done during that period uh, last year where actually it was a little bit more open, but just with um, sort of a 
uh, safe practices. Yeah, so everything you see in the documentary was filmed during the time COVID has been around. Um, so obviously with uh, social distancing and um, COVID uh, protocols and stuff, we all adhere to those. But everything was recorded during the actual pandemic, which is crazy to think about now that we was able to interview so many people um, during that period of time. But um, yeah, essentially, if the pandemic wasn't a thing, we probably would have done filming in about no longer than two months, probably. But because of COVID, it was stretched out to about eight months in total that it took to film everything. So when you, how did you find putting it together? Did you have to wait till you'd spoken to everybody so you knew what content you were working with or were you starting to piece it together as you went? Um, a bit of both. So in my head, I had a rough idea of when I'm talking to a certain person, what I'm going to focus on more. Um, so in my head, I had kind of pieced it together, but I didn't actually put episodes together until I had finished filming. Um because I wanted to have a good overview of what everyone had said and see what works um, in each episode rather than having this person in particular in one episode. And then when I review it, it doesn't really match or someone said the same thing in a better way. So I just waited until all the filming was done and then um, pieced together what I'd already uh, formulated in my head. So there weren't too many people that were cut out then? No, there wasn't. I think only one or two people were cut out. That's just because of the audio. You couldn't work out what they were saying, but um, everyone everyone I could get in definitely got in. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and you really have some fantastic talent featured in the series. Um, could you just uh, list a few of the awesome people that are featured? Yeah, so... Um, so uh, we have Angra James, who's just gone to NC Courage. Um, she was at Reading at the time. Um, she's an amazing person, like really down to earth. So we had her in there. Um, we had a good friend of mine, Tosin, who runs Sports Shifts. Um, she's doing a lot of work there, um, making a really big point about making football or sports in general uh uh, active place for black people and especially black women. So she's doing a lot of great work there. Um, we had Haley Bennett, who's a diversity and inclusion manager, um, who's done a lot of work with like women in football, for example. Um, we, as we mentioned before, we had Drew Diamond in there, um, who is one of the founding members of her football hub, and we know the great work he's done. And then we had the likes of Lindsay Hooper and Kate Borsay. I could go on for ages, but I feel like just because of the whole experience, um, the the people at Lewis that invited us down to spend the day there with the players, we got to um, just hang around during their light trading session um, and then interview three of the players, um, as well as having a sit down with the general manager, Maggie Murphy. Um, yeah, that was a particular highlight for all of us because where we had started, we wouldn't have envisioned being invited down to a club to film down there um, and just be a part of their their day kind of thing. They're, they're absolutely brilliant at Lewis, aren't they? I kind of imagine that you probably had enough content to produce an episode in itself. The, I know you spoke to, to Katie and Rianne um, and the stories that they can tell um, 
yeah, have you, have you got enough to do a follow-up on that one, a DVD extra, if you will? Yeah, actually, I, I feel like with everyone we interview, we could probably do an episode in itself. I think each interview was probably around 30 to 45 minutes. And obviously you have to try and squeeze everything of what they've said into 25, 28-minute episodes. So it was a challenge knowing when to cut off what people had said. Um, but yeah, Lewis in particular, they had so much information on what the, the prominent problems within women's football, but not also the problems, how to get around those problems as well. So it wasn't just a, a whinge fest, for example. It was, this is the issue and this is how we can fix it. Um, and a lot of the stuff that they say about how to fix it is stuff that they're already doing as well. So um, Lewis is definitely a shining light within women's football. Yeah, they're, they're really they're really proactive when it comes to a lot of these themes, and um, yeah, they really are a leading light. And it's uh, it's hard not to become a fan of theirs uh, after experiencing them. The the dripping pan as a stadium in itself. If for many of our listeners haven't been there, it's fantastic. I describe it as a tour through football history. You've got a um, a lovely little all seat a stand. Um, um, you've got a raised hill which you literally will get people up there with their dogs. You've got an old-fashioned terrace stand um, supplemented by a, a brand-new ultra-modern um, terraced area with a fantastic little bar, and it's it's just a brilliant experience. I went about two, probably would have been two or three seasons ago to, uh, for their opening game of the season. Um, beautiful August, September afternoon, and it was just a great experience. And um, from now on, and, and hopefully until till the day I die, um, all going well, I want to spend the first game of every season, first home game of every season um, at the Dripping Pound watching Lewis because it's just such a great experience. And um, if you can make it down to catch up with them, then uh, I'll treat you to a beer. Yeah, I've actually, how many times did I watch Lewis play last season? I think it was two or three times I had watched them play. I watched um their first game when they were allowed fans back during the uh, pandemic. So um, that was an experience in itself. Everyone had their pans with them um, to celebrate any goals. And they actually won that day. They won 2 now. So definitely um, I will look forward to meeting you on the, um, the first game of the season. I will definitely try and make it there. Definitely, because I drew a beer as well. So, uh, yeah, we'll see if we can make that happen. Um, <laughs> but was there anyone that you'd hoped to speak to um, that just you, you weren't able to in the end? Um, yes. Yeah, so I, I did want to try and get a manager um, of a club in, in any capacity. I wanted to try and get a manager just to ask them questions about how they feel um, about women's football and the kind of issues surrounding it. Um, unfortunately, that didn't happen. I did contact a few and there was a few talks here and there, but it just couldn't work out. Um, and I did want to try and interview some more players in the WSL. We did interview two um, in Angara James and Maz Pacheco at West Ham. Um, obviously, Natasha Flint's now a WSL player with Leicester going up, which she wasn't at the time. Um, so, yeah, we did try and contact some WSL players and stuff, but it just didn't work out for one reason or another. Um, but if, apart from that, I feel like I covered every other um, kind of category, if you want to call it, of people I wanted in the um, documentary 100%. And I think it was what was quite a nice touch is that you spoke to people um, from outside of the women's game, but within 
sporting media and it was really good to to hear their views uh, about women's football because there's a few that are quite honest and say well I'm no expert in women's football but and they still come out with some really good valid points um, especially when it comes to the episode three which is the the, the race and sport um, but actually that's probably a, a good little point Let, let's talk about some of the the episodes and uh, the issues raised so you've got f- five episodes are you able just to to list the, the topic of each episode for our listeners yes yeah, so we had um the equal pay debate which is obviously probably the most prominent theme within women's football or women's sport in general the fact that men are always paid more than the women in some capacity um so yeah we had that one we had broadcasting problems which was looking at the fact that um up until when the news was announced this year um WSL games and especially the championship games weren't broadcasted on B- BBC or ITV like the men's game is um so we looked at why that is why broadcasters aren't um taking into consideration how popular women's football actually is um, there was sexism and sexuality in football. So there's a co- there's a common misconception that every uh, women's footballer is lesbian. Um, so I wanted to investigate that and and see the perspective of those involved in women's football, both as players and outside, um, how they feel about that kind of um, stereotype and stuff. Then we had. Um, well, diversity, the lack of black representation um, in women's football. Um, diversity is something that hits home for me being a black man. Um, and I felt it was really important to include that because um, women's football, especially in the UK, it's hard to see other black uh, women in the game. Um, in the WSL, there's maybe a handful um, of black players in the in the league uh, and then the championship. There's a little bit more, but I feel like it's maybe 10 off the top of my head that I can think of. Um, so I thought it was important to acknowledge that, not just on the field, but off the field. Um, and Lindsay Hooper, for example, mentioned um, about the uh, excellence ro- uh, centres Um, in grassroots football um, and the lack of representation there. So it wasn't just about, oh, this is not good enough kind of thing. It was trying to find out why this is happening and stuff. So I thought that was really important. Um, And lastly, we were looking at uh, agency because obviously both in men's football and in women's football, sports agents are looked at quite negatively. Um, People seeing them as money merchants that just about getting a paycheck for themselves. But there's a lot of people who do the same job, but do it essentially to look after their clients who turn out to be friends. Um, It's not just a a business transaction between two people. There is a a substantial relationship between an agent and their client. So I felt like it was important to have a look at that too. And, Agency within women's football isn't something that's investigated a lot either. So I thought that'd definitely be an interesting thing to look at. Yeah, and it's the sort of thing that does need to be talked about and, and promoted because I think you're a perfect example because I know the work you've done with Sterling and um, Amber Stobbs. Um, 
you've created a good little network there yourself. Um, that's uh, another video that I'd probably like to sign people, signpost people to. Um, you've done uh, a fantastic 30-minute uh, interview with Amber, who's um, known by many as uh, as a top-quality footballer, um, but also slightly further afield from being a, a footballer that's spoken quite honestly about her sort of mental health challenges that she's uh, needed to overcome. So uh, if you're listening to this once you've watched Throw in the Kitchen Sink, definitely make sure you uh, you watch that episode as well. But um, it just goes to show that actually when you build those relationships, they're not just with players, they're with content creators, they're with clubs, and um, there's a lot of loyalty there as well. So uh, I look forward to seeing uh, other content that you t- you, you'll produce uh, in partnership with Sterling and uh, with and other agencies. But I know through a few of the agents that I do speak to on a regular basis, uh, they are nothing like the reputation that many have from the men's game um many uh, have their phones on 24 7 um supporting the, the female players and um we i can't sort of commend the, the great work that they do uh, they do enough they go above and beyond on uh, a regular basis yeah 100 percent. i'm in regular contact with uh, david fernhead who was also in the documentary as well um who represents natasha flint angara james um, and he actually was so helpful with setting up those interviews with those two players in particular. Uh, but I know how much work he does uh, and how how much effort he has to put in to make sure that his players are performing the best that they can. Obviously, there is a lot of onus on the players to, to, to go on the pitch and perform. But I know through talking to those players in particular, the standard that David has set means that even if they're going through anything, they always have him to rely on as well. So um, I feel like that's something that people overlook when it comes to agents. Obviously, not all agents are like that. Some are just about the money and stuff because you do hear those stories. But I feel like it's important to give flowers to those who deserve it as well. Yeah, definitely, definitely. But obviously, you, they're all fantastic themes that are all very relevant and all possess they're all issues that do need to be tackled is there one particular one that you think is is the most important that needs to be overcome um i would say i'm tied with two um so one's more of like a professional uh, aspect and one's like a personal so obviously from a personal standpoint i would say the black representation is the one that's the most important to me um because that's something that i have to live with every day as well so um, I feel like from a personal standpoint, I would always suggest that one. Uh, from a professional standpoint or from a content uh, standpoint, it would be the broadcasting problems. Um, obviously, we've seen an upturn in um, advertisement and broadcasting now with this new deal coming in next season. Um, but at the time, this news hadn't come through. Um, so a lot of the opinions that you see in the documentary are before this announcement was um was made public so um it's good to see that the progress is being made obviously there's a lot of steps that need to go and then the benefits it and the benefits of it going towards grassroots footballing etc uh, which we'll see over time but yeah i feel like from a professional standpoint that was probably the most important one to me while it is great news um i must admit i don't think that uh, this tv deal goes far enough um I found it quite humorous that the BBC were being given so much uh, applause for the work that 
they've done in this new TV deal when they've had access to a lot of these games for quite some time now, but they've still been hiding them on the red button instead of putting them front and centre of BBC One and BBC Two. So I definitely think that they could have done more. Um, but that's not to say that the BBC haven't been a positive influence because the website is making huge strides, even just keeping people up to date with scores um, and live minute by minute. So they are doing a great job, but I, I still don't think it goes um, all the way to really uh, filling all the gaps that are needed. I have reservations about um, Sky's sensationalised 24-hour coverage, um, but we'll see what happens. Um, hopefully we don't lose the heart of women's game and it doesn't become a, a carbon copy of the men's game. But fundamentally, we all want to see more women's football. We can't get out to see it in person. So it is going to be a positive thing. But hopefully it's just the first step into the, uh, the women really getting the money that they, they deserve. And uh, hopefully in 10 years' time, we'll look back and we'll we'll laugh at how, how small this TV deal is and um, rejoice in how big the uh, the future deals are. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like um, Lindsay's analogy is exactly what you were just saying there. Like the fact it's in the shop, it's just towards the back. It's not right in front of your face kind of thing. So... Um, I feel like th- there is definitely more to be done, um, but we can see some some sort of progress um, on paper at least. It's just to now see the results of it and hopefully it transpires to a position where we're all happy with it. Yeah, definitely, because I think the more people get to watch women's football, um, the more they'll appreciate it. Um, I know for... I've I've had friends that I've taken to uh, to matches and they've had no prior knowledge. We had a few um, um, unfair preconceptions of women's football, but what they've enjoyed the most is just the entertainment. Um, and it doesn't matter what level you're talking about in the women's football pyramid. You've got high score and entertaining games at every single level where you and I both um, grew up obviously focusing on men's football. Quite often men's football games are pretty boring to be honest, you get the odd little moment of magic. But for me, it's not like that in the women's game. The games are much more entertaining. Um, so I, I do think that if people can watch them, I think while there are um, small-minded um, arsehole trolls um, that you'll see on Twitter, the vast majority of football fans are actually quite open-minded. And if you give them that product or exposure to that product, I think they'll definitely be uh, a lot more appreciative of it. And uh, Hopefully, the Euros um, being based in uh, the UK and in England next year, I think that will go a long way to making some changes. If there's still a hangover of COVID, then we might well find that uh, there'll be more UK fans uh, within grounds. Um, I hope that we, st- we it's not quite like that and we do get to allow and welcome uh, some of the, the other supporters in the country just to add to that atmosphere. But I I'm really excited by what we're going to see over the next sort of two, three, four years. I think the the landscape is just going to look so different when we listen back to this episode and we, when we, when we catch up in a couple of years and when you go back to um, uh, go back to look at these same themes and see how they've progressed, even in the space of two years, hopefully you're going to see that there is going to be big changes. And um, I'd be interested uh, for, for you to actually go back and, uh, look at some of these topics and see how they've changed because I, th- I think I think they will and I think for the better yeah 100% I was going to say the the for me personally the unique selling point surrounding women's football is 
yes, the games are competitive. And um, if you're uh, someone who hasn't been aware of women's football, the quality of football is a lot better than you might expect. Um, but also off the pitch, the stories behind these players um, are so open, first of all, like it's it's available for anyone to find out if you really want to find them out. Whereas in the men's stories are usually quite guarded or if the stories do come out about certain players, they're often negative. If a good story comes out about a men's player, it's re- really blown out of proportion. Whereas you find these great stories about women's footballers often like common, it's a common cause um, within women's football. And just like the people are so personable, um, you very rarely meet a media trained women's footballer, which means it's more, they're more approachable. You can just have they're a so general conversation. Well. They're, they're so honest. Yeah, exactly. So it's just, it's really good insight. So I'll give you an example. Angara James, she was at, uh, international duty when we had our interview hence why she had her Welsh track suit on um and aside from the interview um she was telling me about her cause for recycling um and climate change and worrying about the environment and she said that within the Welsh camp she had spoke to the board about the use of plastic bottles and she wanted to try and implement um reusable bottles for the players and staff at the team and that's not something you would have expected to hear from a footballer. Um, I'm not saying that no uh, men's footballer cares about the environment, but it's not something that you would think would come up in conversation. Yeah, it, it wouldn't be considered newsworthy. And that when I when I talk about the, my um, reservations about Sky's sensational 24-hour coverage, they've got no interest in really covering that, or at least if they... If they do have an interest, they, they seem to choose not to because, as you say, there's probably a lot of good work. Marcus Rashford probably isn't the first footballer to do good work outside of football. But these people, these organisations, they don't they don't talk about it enough. And uh, I do feel that women's football is more progressive. There's, there's, well, there's no, it's a fact, really, isn't it? It is progressive in, in so many, uh, so many, so many ways. Yeah, 100 percent. Um Obviously, with all things, there's work to do, but I do find the topics and the kind of the issues that you see in women's football are dealt with a lot quicker or accepted a lot quicker than than there would be in men's football. Yeah, definitely. So is is there a plan to maybe go back and look at some of these, these topics in future? Is that something you'd like to do? Yes. So at the end of episode five, we did say that Throwing the Kitchen Sink will return. Um, we do have some ideas about how it's going to return. Um, not to give too much um, away, it might not be in documentary form. It might be in a different form. Um, so, yeah, we are working behind the scenes to create more stuff that way. But, um, yeah, you just have to wait and see. Cool. Well, I look forward to it. I, I genuinely am um, really excited about what the sort of content you produce um, because – I learned I I learned a lot through the episodes um and it was a great insight to people that I follow through social media so to hear them talk and speak to them um I think it was fantastic is there anything that you learned from your experience that you would use in uh, in future projects um yeah to be more organized <laughs> essentially um, I probably wrote the story of how I wanted it to look a hundred times. Um, I was flicking through loads of notebooks um, just about 
what kind of transition I want to make between this episode, whether I wanted to do a different episode altogether, um, what people was going to be in, in each um, episode. So there was just loads of paper everywhere and it wasn't a very streamlined um, operation. So there's little things here and there that I could have done to make it uh, a lot easier for me in the long run because um, post-production was a really big task. But we got there in the end and I'm happy with the results, so I can't complain too much. But, yeah, being more organised would be the one thing I would do moving forward. Yeah, it must have been so difficult. You must have had to be so ruthless with some of that content. Uh, yeah, literally, say- literally, like, it's it's really hard to know when to cut off a certain point because the challenge was if someone had said something really good but someone else had said the same point but in a different way, do I just have the clip from one person or do I find a way to fit both clips in? So it was stuff like that that was really hard to decipher. Um, But, yeah, um, we got there in the end and I can't complain at all. The final product is something that you should definitely be proud of. And I think women's football is richer for having storytellers like yourself involved, um, as too many of these stories have gone untold for too long. Thank you. And I feel like I can't just take the credit for myself. Like, I do have to thank all the people who were involved, obviously, the people we interviewed. Obviously, if they're not involved, I don't have a documentary to to edit and put out. So everyone involved in terms of the interviews, the people that you did see, as well as the people you didn't see. So James Lewis, as I mentioned before, my cousin Tamara uh, Pulo, who helped out with the questions and uh, the different themes and how we was going to go about uh, the interviews with different people. He was really integral to that. Uh, And Cheyenne helping behind the scenes, even though she had some difficult circumstances at the time as well, she still was able to help us. So, um, 100% those people deserve a shout out. And then even people like yourself, Stuart, like um, contacting me after the documentary had been out and wanting to have me on the podcast. I can't uh, undersell how important um, platforms like Since 71 and Her Football Hub have been with um, sharing our stories and stuff. More so than um, people who claim to be champions of women's football like the big publications um, and some of their writers haven't even engaged with our content so it only emphasizes how important since 71 and her football hub have been towards us thank you it's really kind of you to to say um i do think that volunteer fan produced content is really important in pushing the women's game forward um and i do think that there isn't hopefully going to be avenues for people like yourself uh, and myself and everyone in the future so that actually it it doesn't have to be a um, a hobby or a passion piece and it, it can become uh, a living a, a living like i'm i'm 38 ne- uh, next year and um I, I i always think that i don't know if i could really do a career change but who knows um who knows what doors will open in the future as uh, as women's football uh, continues to develop um for the benefit of our listeners, where can they find uh, the series? So if you go on YouTube um, and you type in Freelance Media, we should be the top uh, suggestion for um, Freelance Media. And you click on our page and you'll be able to see all uh, our episodes there. Um, we're also 
active on social media on Twitter and Instagram. Um, our Instagram is at media underscore underscore because there's been a mix up with um, the previous page we had. And on Twitter, we are at Freelance Media. Um, so yeah, just go on any of those. There'll definitely be links to our documentary there. Yeah, and we, obviously you've got the rise in smart TVs now, so everyone's got access to YouTube, so they can sit there and, uh, and watch it in the comfort of their own home. So uh, make sure that you do go out and do exactly that. And um, just to clarify one thing, it's actually the number three Lance Media, the character, and not uh, not freelance, just in case uh, you do get confused and you're getting frustrated in your searches. Yes, thank you for clearing up. Um, I always forget to mention that it's three Lance Media. I'm so used to saying it with a three but um i often say youtube is the best resource in the world at the moment that it's impossible to not find what you're looking for on youtube um that could be from a content um perspective or just something as simple as putting up a shelf so um i really love the fact that people like myself content creators have control over what they want to put out and how they want to put it out whereas before you would have to wait and see it on TV kind of thing. But YouTube has given access to to people to take control of their own narrative. Um, and I feel like that's important because that's how stories like these get about rather than relying on someone else to do it for you by chance. For um, visual creators, it, it's almost like the revolution um, that happened for musicians with MySpace, isn't it? it? It really does give you that power of control about how you can put that product out there. And uh, and it's easily consumable by uh, um, followers, I suppose, if I want a better word. Yeah, it's exactly like no one can tell you what you can and can't put out, obviously, within reason. Um so the power of controlling your own narrative is something that's empowering and it gives, but it also inspires others to do the same or do something um, completely different. Like you never know who it's going to touch or what impact it may have. So like the documentary itself, it's not something I see as this is to benefit me. It's to hopefully someone else to watch it and then, take inspiration from it and do what they want to do with it or take it into a different direction. So um, having that kind of power in your own production um, is something I'm always going to be an advocate for. Yeah, definitely. It's priceless, priceless. But I'm mindful that I've kept you for sort of well over an hour now. So again, thank you for giving up your evening and being patient with me to actually make us get to have a chance to get together and make this happen. It's very much appreciated. Absolutely. Anytime. I've had so much fun talking to you, um, even beforehand, just like speaking on text and stuff like that. So um, another person I can, I can successfully add to my network um, and I'll hopefully see you in August slash September for Lewis's first home game. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And uh, I wait the invite for season two. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> <laughs> so um, thank you again for everyone for listening. Um, you may have noticed at the beginning of the show, uh, we've substituted out our regular theme tune um, to replace it with Rain by uh, AT, which is uh, the number eight zero as opposed to Alpha Tango. Um, and this is the uh, the theme tune that um, Ajani's actually used to throw, to throw in the kitchen sink. So uh, 
before we do go, um, could you just tell us a very little bit about um, AT and um, how you came about to uh, to using this? Yeah, so I would say about 90% of the music you hear in the documentary is produced by friends of mine. Um, so it's between two of them. So you've got AT, uh, oh no, sorry, three of them. AT, my, uh, my friend Nathaniel, or Envy as he's um, registered in the music space, and my other friend Ashley Zeal. Um, and the three of them make uh, music respectively. Um, and yeah, I wanted it to be something that's inclusive to something that some everyone can take um, from it. So it's not uh, a situation where I've used the most popular artists and paid to use their music. These are friends of mine who are perfecting their craft and making good music at the same time, but they're not at the level they want to be, but I feel like their music deserves to be. So I wanted to include that in the documentary and say, um this is something that you're a part of now as well definitely it's to be commended and so uh, no further ado i say goodbye to you i say goodbye to everyone um as i said at the beginning hopefully uh, you'll be back with us very soon for our olympic content and uh, we always uh, put in a handful of articles out on the website so uh, do keep an eye out and um, do make sure to give us a follow online um if you want to find out how you can follow Ajani and you could catch it earlier, then it will all be linked in the show notes. So uh, take care, everyone. Stay safe and uh, enjoy the rest of the uh, Euros for the men's football while we're sat here waiting for the women's to come back. Take care. Bye-bye. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started